are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Well, it's going to be in church on Wednesday night. Thank you for being here tonight. Looking forward to what God's going to do. I don't know what God's going to do, but I know this. God wants to do something, doesn't He? And God wants to speak to our hearts this evening, and uh, let's trust Him to do that. Hope you had a good week so far. We've had a great week here, and Pastor made mention of all those who've been extra busy getting things prepared for outside, and it's amazing all the work that goes in. Honestly, what you see in a service is the easy part, and all that labor in the shadows, that's what makes it happen, and thank God for that. Tonight, we're going to be in Revelation chapter number four again. If you have your Bible with you, turn there with me. Revelation in chapter number four. We're going to be reading verse number one, and we'll read down through verse number eight for the thought for tonight's message. And last week we preached in Revelation chapter four, and really just a phrase found in verse number one about a door that was opened in heaven. I was thinking about this while the service was going on. I was sitting over here by Brother Bertram, and then I was back here behind and was looking up, and you can see the moon already up in the sky. And then every so often the airplanes fly over. And the moon is so far away and those airplanes are so high. But tonight there's a place beyond that. And it's a real place. And it's a literal place. And somewhere out beyond the moon and somewhere out beyond those planes is a place called heaven. And far beyond the expanse of the clock face, there's a place called eternity. And as I was studying for this tonight, really Saturday night, God began to lay the message on my heart. And I was here at the church probably till about 10 o'clock Saturday night. And it really was convicting and kind of challenging because it really reveals to me when I study on eternity just how temporally minded and temporally affected my heart is. And it's hard for my words and hard for my comprehension to put together what John writes about here in Revelation chapter 4. But I'm praying tonight God will help us see just a little bit of it. And maybe get a little bit better understanding of what's waiting for us on the other side. Because here's the truth. One day we're going to get to see what John saw. And we're going to get to hear what John hears in our text. And tonight maybe we can get a little bit of a foreglimpse, a little, uh, a little taste of that this evening. Revelation chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. That speaks about the completion of the Spirit of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, 
holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. In Revelation chapter 4, John is given a glimpse into eternity. He's able to look through that cracked door, that door that's already been opened. And I'm glad we know who the door is. He looks through that door and he gets to see the sights and the sounds and the atmosphere that adorn the throne room of heaven. As John looks and as he begins to write, the Bible tells us about four beasts that fly around and fly from within the throne. As those beasts fly around the throne, they have a song. They have a testimony. They make a statement. The Bible says their song or their testimony, that statement, is comprised of this, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. I think that if I could put words in their mouth tonight, I think what they're trying to say to John is, John, I know you're taking in things that you've never seen before. I know that you're witnessing things you can't even imagine. John, we don't want you to get wrapped up in the rainbow or caught up in the thunder or enthralled with the lightning. Don't get infatuated with the sea of glass that looks like crystal. John, the main thing is not the throne, but the one who sits on the throne. And I think tonight their song is basically testifying to John this. John, let us take a minute and tell you who's on the throne. Tonight I want to try to do that. And I know that I'm limited in my verbiage. I know I'm limited in my comprehension. But for a little while tonight, we'll break down the song of those four beasts flying around the throne. And I want to preach on this thought and think on this theme. Let us tell you about the one who's on the throne. Let's pray for just a moment, Lord. I pray for power to preach, please. God, I pray you'd make preaching easy. I need your power. I pray that you remove any hindrances and any distractions. I pray you'd help me to speak clearly. Help me to only say that which you'd have me say. I pray that you take control of the service now. Tabernacle with every person. Meet with them in their car. I know the Holy Spirit's within us, but I pray that your presence will be very tangible and very real tonight. Help us to see the throne. Help us to see who's on the throne. In Jesus' name, amen. I read the illustration about a little boy who was very poor. A little boy every day would walk down the street to a toy store and he'd just stand at the glass and admire the toys through the window. He did it day after day, pressing his face up against the glass, and the shop owner noticed the boy lusting after those toys. After some time, the shop owner had compassion on the young man, and he handed the boy a toy. He stepped outside of his shop and reached one of those toys from inside the window onto the outside of the window. The little boy held that toy in his hand. He just stood there sort of motionless and his eyes fixed on that toy. The shopkeeper said, son, don't you have anything to say? And the little boy said, I just can't get over how wonderful it is not to have the glass in between us anymore. I thought about that. When we go to preach on themes like the theme tonight, I can say this, we have a little glass between us. But I'm praying this evening that God will let his book remove that glass for just a moment and let us get a good glimpse into eternity. Eternity is just as real as time. What you cannot see is just as real as what you can see. What waits for us in the future is just as real and just as alive right now as it will be then. I'm afraid sometimes we get too earthly focused and we forget this world is not our home. This world is simply the dwelling place of the body. 
but it's not the resting place of the soul. I think about the old song we sometimes sing, to Canaan land I'm on my way where the soul of man will never die. Sometimes we're so attached to this world and what we do know and what we can see that it's hard for us to understand what we don't fully know and what we cannot fully see. For us to take that leap from thinking earthly to thinking eternally seems impossible. But I'm glad tonight with the help of the Bible and the help of the Spirit of God, we're able to span that gulf and remove that glass and get just a glimpse of what waits for us in eternity. Revelation makes eternity very near to us. It draws heaven down to earth. It opens the door and allows us to look through. John is the human writer that God used to give us this revelation. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. John's the man who got to lay his head just inches away from that heart that loved sinners so much to go to a cross on Calvary and to lay down his life for you and I. As John receives this revelation, he's been isolated. He's in exile. He's in extreme pain. He's suffering and been separated from his friends, his family, and his fellow laborers. On Patmos, John has been left for dead. He's paying the price of being a Christian. John had every fleshly reason to complain, to murmur, and to think about quitting on God. But it's encouraging to me to see that though John's circumstances were poor, his resolve was steadfast. John is on Patmos, but he's not pouting. John is in isolation, but he's not complaining. John has been exiled, but he's not defeated. The Bible says on the Isle of Patmos that John goes ahead and he worships God. He lives on the winning side and he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. I believe John's attitude went a long way in John receiving what he got there on Patmos. Even in his affliction, he lived on the winning side. And it's interesting to me how God gives John some things on Patmos that maybe he wouldn't have given him any place else. Now in passing, let me say it do, it do you and I well to weather our storms the right way. Because God might want to give you something in affliction that God can't give you any other place. Now as we journey into the text of Revelation 4, John is given access to peer through the open door of eternity. In verse number 1, he hears a trumpet-like voice calling him to come up and view what waits ahead on the prophetic calendar of God. The phrase, come up hither, that's found in verse number 1, ought to ring the bell of hope in the heart of every Christian here tonight because that phrase points our attention to our own blessed hope and that moment that's coming any day now when Jesus will call us home and rapture his bride away. I'm glad John got to hear that phrase in his day, but can I say you and I might hear that phrase just any day as well. And I'm glad we're waiting on a shout. We're listening for a sound. And just any moment now, that voice like no other voice might cry out in the sky and call us to come up hither and we'll be out of here. Now you step out of verse 1 and walk into verse 2 and you begin a sightseeing tour of eternity. John's about to take a sightseeing trip. Have you ever been on a guided tour before? Have you ever climbed onto a tour bus and got in your seat and then opened up the map and seen the sights and the stops that would wait for you on that tour? 
Have you ever felt the anticipation that would begin to rise in your breast as you begin to see that you're going to get to see things you've never seen before? You're going to get to take in sights you've heard people talk about. You're going to go to stops that have renown and fame around the world. If you take a sightseeing trip, usually they save the best sight for last. But we're about to find that John's sightseeing trip into eternity doesn't save the best for last. But they put the greatest stop on the tour right at the beginning of the trip. Verse 2 tells us, the first stop on John's tour before he views anything else John is taken right to the throne in verse number 2 the Bible said and immediately I was in the spirit now watch this phrase and behold a throne as you read through the book of Revelation you find this book of the Bible makes much about the throne. That word throne is mentioned over 30 times in the book of Revelation. It's found 12 times in John, uh, Revelation chapter 4 alone. A throne is a place of power. A throne is a place of position. A throne is a place of prestige. A throne is a place of pedigree. John is given access into eternity. And it struck me that the first stop on his sightseeing trip wasn't by a crystal sea. It wasn't by streets of gold. He didn't go view gates of pearl. But the first stop on John's trip into eternity took John right to the foot of the throne. I looked up that word throne to see what light the dictionary might shed on the word for us. The dictionary said a throne is the chair or seat occupied by a sovereign, a king, or an exalted personage of supreme power and authority. Now, throughout history, there have been thrones that demanded respect and reverence. There have been thrones that conjured fear and trepidation. There have been thrones that brought peace for a season and caused people to rejoice for a time. Throughout history, there have been thrones that have risen and fallen. They've come and gone. They've been filled and vacated. They've stood and then been lost to time. But this throne, this throne that John sees, this throne that we're reading about tonight, this throne that said in eternity is a throne that time cannot erase. It's a throne that'll never be vacated. It's a throne that has no fallen crown. It's a throne of perfect judgment. It's a throne of omnipotent power and a throne that'll usher in perfect peace tonight. I don't doubt that if we could see the thrones of other ancient rulers, they'd be something to see. I mean, the thrones of Ramses in Egypt or Caesar in Rome or Alexander in Greece would probably cause us to, to pause and take in the grandeur and the gravity of those thrones. But can I say tonight, the throne that John sees, that throne that set in eternity, would make those earthly thrones look like secondhand furniture from a castaway store. You read on through these verses and the Bible begins to tell us about the throne the throne that becomes the subject of our text tonight is a throne number one that's an eternal throne John is taking a tour of eternity and the first stop on his trip puts him at the foot of an eternal throne in verse number two the Bible says that this throne is set in 
heaven. That means this throne is not in danger of decay. It's not at risk of destruction. Moth and rust and the corruption of this world cannot touch this throne. This throne is not a throne established for earth, but this throne is a throne that is set in eternity. This throne is the center of all that is. It's the spiritual center and spring of creation, past, present, and future. This eternal throne is set in the holy of holies up in heaven. And it stretches its domain back to before the first second ever ran off the clock. Its breath is further than the furthest expanse of existence. And it runs ahead of time further than man could ever number. Nothing that ever was, nothing that ever is, and nothing that shall be can be excluded from the domain of this throne. John's on a sightseeing trip tonight. And it's interesting. He doesn't go to those places we sing about. He doesn't see those things we often talk about but John's first stop he doesn't go by the crystal sea he doesn't see the streets of gold he doesn't view the gates of pearl but the first stop on his trip into eternity takes him to the throne now you read on further and find this throne is not just an eternal throne but it's also a beautiful throne This throne is not just eternal. It's exceptionally beautiful. John's looking at a sight that his mortal eyes had never seen before. The scene unfolding to John would find no comparable match among the landscapes, architecture, or fashions of this earth. Precious stones are used to describe the throne that he sees. We're not talking about the shape of those stones, but it references the splendor of those stones. Everything about this throne that John sees radiates with unmatched brilliance and unrivaled beauty. In verse 3, we read about the stones used to describe what he views. The Bible mentions a jasper stone, a sardine stone, and an emerald. And it's very obvious as you read the record of Revelation, this is a throne of utmost glory and majesty. You read on further down. And in verse number 6, the Bible talks about a sea of glass stretching out from before the throne. Can you try to imagine tonight the panorama of beauty that John is taking in? No doubt that fits the definition given by Paul. My eye has never seen such a thing. My ear has never heard such a thing. And my heart can't contain such a thing as that. It's very obvious as you read it. This is a beautiful throne. Let man paint his pictures. Let man draft his blue prince. Let man compose his symphonies. Let man erect his monuments. Let man try to create breathtaking beauty. And I'll say this, nothing man could ever muster up could compare to the beauty that John sees as he looks upon that throne. I'd like to say it like this, Mozart, move over. Picasso, sit down. Van Gogh, just go home. Nothing you and I can come up with can match that throne. John's taking a tour of eternity. And it's interesting. He's not dipping his toes in the river of life. He's not looking through the Lamb's book of life. He's not fishing there in that river either. But the first step on John's tour takes him right to the throne. That tells me tonight that maybe we ought to be consumed with that throne as well. Maybe we ought to be thinking about that throne. Maybe we ought to be talking Talking more about that throne. You keep on reading in the verses and you find that throne is not just eternal. That throne is not just beautiful, but that's a throne of promise and covenants kept. In verse 3, the Bible tells us there's a rainbow surrounding the throne. Other thrones in history might have been adorned with their own impressive garland, but this throne is wrapped in a rainbow on earth. 
We only get to see half a rainbow at best. But in eternity, John sees a complete rainbow wrapped like a wreath around the throne. The rainbow totally encircles it. It has no end. It has no beginning. It's complete. It's total and runs on for eternity. It's just like the promises of God. The rainbow is not like the modern idea of a rainbow. This rainbow is emerald in color. This rainbow is not used to promote the sin of pride, but this rainbow is used to proclaim the faithfulness of the promise giver. It's not just adorning this throne for appearance, but it's a testimony to the character, the compassion, and the covenant promise of the one who sits on that throne. You go back to the book of Genesis and you find that God gave Noah the promise of the rainbow in the clouds to tell him that never again would he destroy the world with a flood. The rainbow's a testimony that God remembers and God will keep his promise. This emerald rainbow radiates around the throne and it signifies to John and you and I tonight that just as God spare, would spare his creation from another worldwide flood, now he promises to spare his church from a coming worldwide tribulation. Can I say that's a good place to say amen? That's a good place to shout hallelujah. That's a good place for the glory of God to come down. Hey, right there's a good place for a honk. I'm glad I won't go through it. I'm glad I won't see it. I'm glad I won't have to endure it. Thank God, just as Noah was brought out and taken up before the, the judgment of God, I'm glad we'll be called out and taken up before the tribulation comes here on this earth. He's seen a throne. It's an eternal throne. It's a beautiful throne. It's an eternal promise-keeping throne. You read on further and you find on John's first stop, he sees this throne. And this throne is also a throne of judgment and justice. In verse 5, the Bible tells us about seven spirits and seven lamps and that from this throne proceeds lightning and thunder. Now, I'm not going to take the time to do it tonight, but if you study through the Old Testament and look at the references in Isaiah and Nahum and in Exodus and other places, all of those things are used as symbols as God of God's righteous judgment. This throne is a testimony to this world that though God is a God of grace and God is a God of mercy, He He's also a God that is a God of righteousness and a God of justice and a God that will judge sin. And one day the church will be gone and the wrath of God will be poured out like a flood upon this world. John is on a sightseeing trip and his first trip takes him to a, his first stop takes him to a throne and the throne he sees is eternal. The throne he sees is beautiful. The throne he sees is a promise keeping throne. And lastly that throne is a throne of of judgment. Now to get to my text verse for tonight, I want us to consider not just who's around the throne, but quickly we've got to move on. We've got to consider who's on the throne. That throne is just a seat unless the one on it is worthy of worship. That throne is just a seat unless the ones around it pay it the respect it deserves. As John takes his tour, he sees several inhabitants of eternity's throne room. He mentions 24 elders around the throne. Now there's much preaching in that and there's some good preaching in that, but I'm not going to preach on that tonight because I think we might do that the next time. But let me just tease you and say it's a great truth and it's you and I. That'll make you come back for more and bring popcorn. But John also sees four beasts flying around the throne. 
In verse 6, 7, and 8, we're introduced to these beasts. The Bible says they fly around the throne, and these beasts are full of eyes within, and these beasts are covered with six wings. It's very interesting. They have different faces. One beast has the face of a lion. One beast has the face of a man. One beast has the face of an eagle. And one beast has the face of an ox. Bible commentators say that's used to uh, describe or to personify the entirety of creation, signifying that God is going to pour out His wrath upon the entire world in the tribulation period. I read another historian who said that as Israel was brought out of bondage and led through the wilderness and marched into Canaan land, they divided into quadrants, and each quadrant marched behind a banner or a standard. On one standard or banner was the picture of a lion. On one was the picture of a man. On one was the picture of an ox. And on one was the picture of an eagle. And God is trying to tell John and God is revealing to us that just as he brought Israel out and led Israel through and got Israel in back then that so God will bring Israel out. He'll get Israel through the tribulation and ultimately lead them in to the promised inheritance that they are uh, promised in the Bible. Now you keep on reading down and you find these beasts are flying around the throne. They're flying incessantly and they have a song that they sing. Now imagine it with me. John is fresh from Patmos into eternity. He is fresh from isolation into the throne room. No doubt he's taken aback by what he's witnessing. I mean, no doubt he's never seen such a thing as he's witnessing now. Maybe just for a moment, John closes his eyes to try to gather himself. And as John closes his eyes, he trades out his eye gate for his ear gate. And all of a sudden, he hears the testimony. He hears the song. He hears the declaration of those four beasts that are flying around the throne. All of a sudden, it begins to echo through the halls of eternity. And their song rises in anthem and they sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Tonight, can I say... That throne is breathtaking and the atmosphere of that throne room is no doubt spellbounding. But can I say the main event and the main attraction is not the throne, it's the one who sits on the throne. Their song is not concerned with the seat, they're concerned with who sits on that seat as they fly around. They draw attention to one place, they point their focus on one thing, they take John's heart and arrest it with one theme and they say, John, we want to point you to the throne. John, don't get wrapped up in the lightning. Don't get concerned with the thunder. Don't get impressed with the lambs. Don't you concern yourself with the rainbow. We want you to look at the one who deserves all glory. He deserves all honor. He deserves all thanks. John, let us tell you, he's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's Lord. He's God. He's almighty. He was. He is. He's always going to be. John, let us tell you who's on that throne. Now tonight, as we sit where we sit, and as we live through what we live through, I think it'd be good for us to get a fresh look at the one who sits upon the throne. Tonight, I believe that the wind of revival could blow strong in our soul if we just see what John saw and see who John saw on that throne. You look high and you'll find above the burdens of this life, there is a throne. Above the struggles of today, there is a throne. Above the letdowns of earth, there is a throne. 
throne above all your disappointments. There is a throne above the struggle and trial of right now in eternity. Thank God there is a throne. Other thrones have fallen. Other thrones have come and gone. Other thrones have been toppled. But this throne tonight, it stands steadfast and sure. And there's beasts tonight up in heaven literally flying around that emerald rainbow, flying around that glorious throne and they're directing all glory and all honor and all worship and all praise to the one who sits on the throne. I want to put words in their mouth in just a few moments I have left. And if they could sing and they were to address John, I think they'd look at John and say, John, you're not here to see all the extra. You're here for that essential, that one who's on the throne. John, just for a minute, let us sing you a song. Let us give you a word. Let us tell you a little testimony. Let us tell you about the one on the throne. I think first off, they'd strike up their choir. They'd hit that first note on their piano. I mean, they'd get that thing going and they'd lift their voices. And lyric number one would ring out from those celestial voices and they'd cry out, here's who he is, John. He is holy. He is holy. And he is holy. The beast began to cry out, holy. And they repeat it three times, signifying that he is completely holy. He's perfectly holy. And he's totally holy. Around the throne, it rings out with no stop. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, you say who's on the throne? The world needs to know it. Eternity must know it. Here he is. He's the Holy One. He is holy, holy, holy. There's a broad spectrum of truth presented in that one word, holy. But by saying it three times, holy, holy, holy. These beasts are saying that one on the throne is intrinsically good. He is totally pure. He's completely clean and supremely above reproach. The one on the throne does not need imputed righteousness. He's the one who gives us righteousness. The one on the throne does not need forgiveness. He's the one who offers to us forgiveness. The one on the throne does not need grace for he has never sinned. The one on the throne does not need atonement. He's never been tempted by transgression. John, let us tell you, as they fly around the throne, who's on that throne? Here it is. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. And can I say tonight, that's the God that we serve this evening. I'm glad we serve a holy God. A God we can trust. A God we can depend upon. A God we can lean on. A God we can run to. He'll never let you down. He'll never fall short. He'll never discourage. He's a holy, holy, holy God this evening. He's holy for the past. He's holy in the present and he's holy for eternity. He's holy God the Father, holy God the Son and holy God the Holy Ghost. His love is holy. His mercy is holy. His standard is holy. His judgment is holy. His care is holy. His word is holy. His purpose is holy. His motives are holy. His agenda is holy. His ways are holy. His thoughts of us is holy, holy, holy. His justice is holy. His law is holy. His life is holy. His death was holy. His resurrection was holy. His ascension was holy. His coming for us is a holy coming. He's consistently holy. He's constantly holy. He's completely holy. He's the creator and caretaker of all that is holy holy. You say, John, who's on the throne? Well, John writes it down. Those beasts told me he is holy, holy, holy. Not only is he holy, but let us move quickly. 
I think they'd sing. And they'd sing on and say, not only is the one on the throne holy three times, but they matched the three holies with three stiletto powerful titles. He's holy, 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 but sing on. Who else is he? As they fly around that throne without stop, the halls of eternity echo with the words, here's who he is. He is Lord. He is God. And he is almighty. Oh, those three terms match up with those three holies and eternity rings out as John hears the testimony. Our God is Lord. Our God is God. Our God is almighty. That tells me, number one, he's holy. But number two, thank God, he is powerful. I think about the hymn, all praise to him who reigns above in majesty supreme. Any earthly king's power only runs as far as his domain can reach. But can I say the domain of this king has no limitations and it has no boundaries and his power knows no end. The golden streets, the gates of pearl, the crystal sea, all of that takes a backseat to the king of kings and the lord of lords, that lord God almighty upon the throne all the thunder all the lightning all the lambs the spirit of God all point us to his power now let me make a quick application I'm glad he's powerful he's powerful enough to lay down his life and take it up again he's powerful enough to rapture us into heaven he's powerful enough to raise up the dead in Christ He's powerful enough to overthrow the armies of the Antichrist. He's powerful enough to restore the nation of Israel. He's powerful enough to make a new heaven and give us a new earth. Now that's stirring and that's a blessing. But can I say our God is powerful enough to breathe creation into existence. He didn't even have to use his hand. He just used the breath of his mouth and created everything that is. Our God is powerful enough to part a Red Sea for Moses. He's powerful enough to Hold shut the mouths of the lions. He's powerful enough to resurrect the dead Lazarus, to send down fire on Mount Carmel, and to give us eternal life and a million other things. But can I say, even more than that, to make practical application, don't you reckon that if God is powerful enough to do those things, He could probably put food on your table and shoes on your feet and clothes on your back tonight? I think He can lift my burdens and help me with my struggles in life. Our God is a powerful God. God. It's amazing. God can control the galaxies, but don't neglect this. He also controls the beating of your heart. Our God can keep the oceans within the, within the beaches, but He also gives me every breath I breathe. Our God controls the weather of our world, but He also guides my steps. He's a powerful God. Number three, not only is He holy, not only is He powerful, but He's everlasting. Verse 8, the last part of the verse says, He's not just holy, holy, holy. He's not just Lord God Almighty. But now we figure out exactly who He is. He's the one which was and is and is to come. Now that phrase would leave no doubt about who it is on the throne. As the beasts finish out their song, this last phrase in the, in the song tells us exactly who it is that reigns in eternity. If you take your Bible and go back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 4, the Bible says in verse number 4, John is writing to these churches a letter, a letter of peace. And the one who tells him what to write is him which is 
and which was and which is to come. Now that still doesn't describe to us exactly who it is. So to take away any doubt, we let the one who is, was, and is to come tell us himself who it is that's on the throne. <laughs> this almost make a Baptist shout on Wednesday night. Verse number 8. These words are in red in my Bible. And it says this. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord Jesus, who are you? I'll tell you who I am, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now can I say that might not be politically correct because I'm not obeying your coexist sticker tonight. I'm not fitting in Jesus with Muhammad or Buddha or Obama or your mama. I mean Jesus stands alone this evening. Jesus says here it is. I'm the one who's on the throne. It takes away all doubts. It takes away all question. It takes away all speculation. Who's on the throne in heaven? I tell you who it is. Jesus is on on the throne the lamb that was rejected and despised on earth is now reigning in eternity the one who saved me from my sin who supplies my every need the one who answers my prayer thank God he's the one who's on the throne tonight and the Bible tells us he's everlasting he's in the beginning was the word he's alpha and omega he's first and last John uses those stones to describe what he sees if you read back. And he sees he, uh, the color or the, the, the pigment of a sardine, a sardine stone and a jasper stone. If you study the Old Testament, you find that the breastplate of the high priest had a, a, a rows of stones upon it. And the first stone on the breastplate was a sardine stone. And the last stone was a jasper stone. First and last. Each stone represented a tribe of Israel. That sardine stone represented, uh, I believe it was Reuben. And his name means behold a son. And the last stone represented Benjamin. And his name means the son of my right hand. And can I say that everything about what John saw drawed his, drawed his attention, pointed his attention to the fact that it was the son the one of the right hand, that it was the first and the last, that it was Jesus who's on the throne in heaven. Tonight, He's everlasting. I'm glad He's more than a spare tire. He's more than a rabbit's foot. He's more than a pillow to get me through the night. He's from everlasting to everlasting God. He's got no time, expiration date. There's no stamp dated upon Him. He always was, He is, and He always will be King of kings and Lord of lords in eternity. He's everlasting. Crown Him the Lord of years, the potentate of time, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. Now let me just close and say this. If anything else, what I noticed as I studied for this message was that the first stop on John's sightseeing trip took him to a throne. That tells me that you and I probably ought to be a little bit more concerned with that throne. Maybe ought to take over our conversation. It ought to consume our mind. It ought to be on our heart. And not just that there's a throne, but thank God we know the one who sits on that throne. And then I notice this. The supreme act of service in eternity is worship. And it's not worship that says, look at me, but it's worship that says, look at him. And I want to ask you, 
If that's what we're going to do in eternity, maybe we ought to get a jump start on it down here. How long has it been since you let go and just worship the one who sits on that throne tonight? I know we talk a lot about our trouble. And I know we focus a lot on our problems. And I know there's a lot of negativity and we seem to like dirty laundry better than clean. But can I tell you what it helped me and help you tonight? If sometimes we'd clear out the clutter and we'd try to see what John saw and then we'd close our eyes, open our ears and try to hear what he heard and understand that our God is holy, holy, holy. He's Lord, He's God, and He's Almighty. He's the one who was, He is, and He'll always be. And we ought to worship Him. One of these days, that glass will be gone. And we'll actually live there. We'll see it. But until then, we could go ahead and act like it and worship Him who sits on the throne. Let's spend a minute in prayer tonight. Why don't you ask the Lord to help you? As I studied this, I tell you, I felt pretty feeble because I don't think I have adequate vocabulary to describe it. And I live too much down here to really see it like I want to. But I know this much. I want to worship Him who sits on the throne. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.